Welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy reporting. And coming up on the broadcast today, going to talk some soccer with Joshua Cloak from The Athletic. Mark Rowe, our tennis guru, live from New York. Later on in the broadcast, to John Simpson from TSN 1200 in Ottawa talking pucks. I should remind you, Leafs Lunch returns before the start of the Leafs season. Gameplay with Matt Cause during weekdays 1 to 4. Gameplay is Canada's first daily radio show focused on sports betting and fantasy, providing listeners with the inside edge in every sport, along with the latest lines, best prop bets, and more. So that's Matt Cause at 1. And of course, the regulars, everybody's back in their normal seat on overdrive, which means hijinks, planned and unplanned. Love those guys. And of course, that's 4 to 7, all here on TSN 1050. So. This is an interesting time of the year. We've got the baseball stretch run, one of our topics. We've got World Cup qualifying soccer. Uh, we're going to deal with that. Tennis. Oh, boy, that is fantastic. Uh, let's see here. Leila Annie Fernandez gets by 6-3, in the in the tiebreaker against Vitalina uh, yesterday afternoon. That was thrilling to watch. And Felix Ojealiasim gets by on an Alcarez retirement due to injury. A bit of a letdown, I have to say, and I have to qualify that. Everybody applauds Felix Ojealiasim getting to the semifinals. But in terms of contrast of, of how you get there, I mean, that, that Fernandez win was, oh, that's emotional. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that has happened this summer. Uh, women's uh, soccer, uh, uh, the gold medal at the Olympics, uh, women's hockey winning the world championships, um, Andre de Grasse, all the Olympic stuff, uh, and, and the, what's happening with tennis. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here. It may be me just get, being sentimental, but there's a lot of stuff that you watch happen for our Canadian athletes. And there's a little there's a little teardrop of joy just because of the emotion. That watching Leila Annie Fernandez, we'll explore this with Mark Rowe later on, but such a, a calm and, and almost gentle demeanor on the court in terms of her outward persona. But this is, she is really tough. I mean, there's, there's points in matches where you see her have to, to reset. They call this a, a reset many times in the broadcast yesterday, and she did it. And she comes out of it, and, and she's really evolving right in front of her eyes, as is Felix Oje Aliassime. So the first two Canadians in a semifinal in a slam event since 20, the same slam event since 2014 at Wimbledon, uh, Jeannie Bouchard and Milos Raonic. Uh, so this is, Another Canadian moment, and we've had a number of them over the last couple of months, and we applaud this, and, boy, it's great to be in the front seat. And, and Mark Rowe literally is courtside for all of this, so we'll enjoy that conversation. What about the Blue Jays? 5-1 over the Yankees last night. Manoa goes tonight. They said exactly two games out of the wild card with some great baseball ahead. Uh, the developing story is the Yankees now 2-8, and eight, thanks to the, the Jays solving them in the first two games of this series. And, and so the Yankees are now, uh, they just have a slim hold on the wild card lead over Boston. Uh, what, a half game, or 0.5% is the winning percentage, so, so not much. They're playing 565 ball, and Boston's playing 560, and the Blue Jays are in there at 547. So, so this is a stretch run now. The Yankees after going unconscious after the trade deadline have lost four straight set of two and eight in their last ten boston at four and six in their last ten they've lost three straight and of course the jays are nine and one in the last ten set two out they've won six straight and that run differential is is taking over this is a marvelous story uh, now what the jays have have got back is a, a retained or, or regained actually is the better way to say it, is their ability to win their way in they don't have to worry about anybody now just themselves and they've got uh, two more games in this Yankees series and then play the Yankees again later on uh, and so they can 
uh, regain uh, a spot in the wild card by just doing what they're doing now. Interesting contrast to that welcome home stand where they went nine and two, stumble on the road. Now they're at nine and one again. So uh, baseball is a game of averages that they've atoned for the, the struggles on the road with this nine and one run, and now have to keep it going. And I think there's a lot of confidence they will. I, I found it interesting. Steve Phillips, our, our baseball insider, in overdrive yesterday. Uh, one of the narratives as we're talking about the Jays pushing forward is yes, they can get there, and then you immediately say, yeah, but Semyon and Robbie Ray will not be back next year. Steve Phillips in Overdrive totally disagreed. Let's listen. I honestly think that they can make a reasonable deal. Uh, It's going to cost money, but so what? They've got financial flexibility. You built your roster around young core so that you could afford the players around them. This is exactly the kind of guy you want to sign. And so, and, and it's not like you're taking your line item in the, in the budget and, and at doubling it, he's not going to get $36 million a year. And so uh, there's no reason why they can't re-sign him and that it, it, it should easily be able to fit within their budget constraints and, and uh, you know, limitations. And I think for Robbie Ray, you know, he made $8 million. He made double his pay. But if not Robbie Ray, you're going to have to go out and sign another pitcher, and that guy's going to probably make closer to 15 or $16 million. And so I don't think – I don't see any reason why – the Jays can't bring back both Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon and still be able to add to their budget moving forward. So, you know, they're, they're, we're going to get a full season next year, complete fans in the stands next year, at least we think. And so, uh, you know, I there's no reason why they can't bring both these guys back. He's, they're not pricing themselves out of the Blue Jays market. Nobody's doing that right now. Wow, that is Steve Phillips in overdrive, and that is really music to our ears. Wouldn't that be something if both those guys come back? These are stud players. Sent me yesterday two for three. Uh, Kirk with the the two homers. Uh, just a, a, an interesting storyline for the Jays. You love watching this team when the bats deliver, but also uh, sort of lost in the shuffle is the performance by by Mats, who goes 11 and seven, six innings, seven hits, uh, 93 pitches, 65 were strikes. Uh, but this is the the pitching matchup that we were talking about yesterday. Uh, so Garrett Cole was uh, humanized by the Jays had a bit of an injury problem, and, and so you know there's a, a stud pitcher that the Jays were able to get to and, and knock out early in the ball game, albeit due to injury. But but that's a, that's a big win for the Jays, and we'll explore that as we move on. Uh, let's deal with the World Cup qualifying now. A big game for Canada tonight at uh, BMO Field, uh, so it'll be Canada against El Salvador. Canada's involved with Honduras, the Americans, and, and El Salvador, all tied with two points. Mexico has six, Panama four as they get into the qualifying, which will be decided in March. To help us uh, sort of sift through all this stuff, Joshua Cloak is here, covers Canadian soccer in the least for the Athletic. Josh, how are you today, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. So, uh, you know, there's there a cluster of four teams. Uh, Canada uh, tonight uh, in this game, obviously against El Salvador. Um, uh, this this is a a, a a tough battle for for Canada uh, in that uh, they have to win because it's on home soil. So, what are the ramifications here? Yeah, it is a must win. I think if you look at where Canada is at right now, they have to feel good. Maybe not great. I mean, a draw at home in their opener against Honduras was was quite disappointing, especially given their first half in which they really looked quite, you know, shell-shocked playing in this final round of qualification. But then you follow that up with a really strong performance away from home against the United States, which, you know, probably caused a lot of panic through American soccer circles, but definitely, you know, in the 1-1 draw that they earned, really put Canada back on track 
Um, again, when you look at how difficult it's going to be playing away from home, and Canada's most difficult away matches come towards the end of this qualifying tournament when they go to some like hostile, you know, locales, El Salvador, Honduras, uh, Panama, even Mexico City, right? Those are going to be really, really difficult games to get points in. So these games at home are, are as you said, absolutely must win because you control so many of those variables. Um, El Salvador is quite a pesky team. Um, again, they've got two points from two matches. They have draws against Honduras and the United States. So they, you know, they know how to come out and play that kind of brand of football in which they can kind of walk away with a point, get the result that they need. So they're going to try and stymie um, Canada just as they have with their other opponents. But for Canada, you have to really show that you're capable of playing that confident football that you showed in the second half against the Americans where you can play kind of free-flowing, you can play with your speed, um, and you cannot kind of let the moment get to you, which I think they did in that first game. Uh, so, again, it'll be important just for Canada to do what they did and kind of carry over that attack-minded football from the first game because, again, if you drop points in this game against a team that's you know ranked lower than them in the FIFA rankings, you can put as much stock in those as you want. But this is a game that they are expected to win, and if you do want to get one of those three spots, that puts you in the World Cup. These games that at home against lower-ranked teams, you know, there's no question. You, you you have to get three points out of tonight. Josh, uh, Alfonso Davies is out with the injury. Um, how big a loss is this, and how do they make up for it? It's a loss, but I don't know if it's such a drastic loss, right? And I say that for a few reasons. One, there was always going to be squad rotation, and after Alfonso Davies played, you know, two matches in just a you know four day span and played really really well. It's possible he might not have started, right? So you know, it's possible there would have been some squad rotation and they would have brought in, you know, a Tejon Buchanan for example. Um, but I think just not having him, you know, even just as a threat off the bench if the game is tied late, um, that hurts them. But I think there's still plenty of attacking options that they can go with. They can go with a like-for-like substitution in Tejon Buchanan, who had a lot of success in the Gold Cup playing that kind of left-wing, left-wing-back role that Davies plays. They can put a little more creativity in the centre of the park, which they haven't as much uh, throughout this tournament. Maybe, you know, Toronto FC's Jonathan Osorio finally sees the pitch. He's an experienced player who knows how to play that final pass into the box, into the team's forwards. Um, and again, I, I think if we're talking about you know, players that need to, to step up. Jonathan David, who is arguably the second or third best player on this team, and it was a big part of this new kind of young golden generation, he's been really, really ineffective through the first two games. So it's going to be on John Herdman to try and get the most out of him. And if they can get him firing, if he can find the back of the net and kind of, I guess, wake up, this team has to like their chances a lot more. So it's a loss, but definitely not as kind of critical as it would have been had it happened before the game against the United States. So, Josh, take us through the there's four teams here with two points as, as we speak right now, Canada, Honduras, uh, Team USA, and El Salvador. What is, the, is there a separator between those four, or are they all pretty well even? Yeah, I, I think if we're going on talent alone, obviously the United States and Canada is, is – they can separate themselves, but the, the um, you know the variables that I was talking about earlier, El Salvador and Honduras. These are really intimidating environments for traveling teams to play in. You know, and and the United States is in Honduras tonight. That one, I'll be keeping an eye on that one, and I think that one could really 
tell the tale of how the table shakes out early because if you know the United States is, is held to a draw again, yes, it's a 14 game tournament. It's a you know it's more of a marathon than a sprint. But you, you do have to wonder if if this team, if the United States can't start getting points. Um, you know, is the confidence throughout that group going to be shaken? Like, what what is that? What kind of an impact is that going to have on the group? Because there's a lot of questions being asked of this American side, probably more than any other side in this tournament right now. So, you know, this this American team has a lot of talent, but they, you know, again, they haven't really shown their best through two games. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're an absolute lock right now. The separator, again, is, is going to be the ability to win these games at home. If Canada, you know, John Herdman said ahead of this tournament, he was expecting to get 21 points out of seven home games. If Canada can win their next six games at home, that that's the kind of thing that would separate them, right? It, just winning those games that you're expected to win, that's the kind of thing that would separate them. I don't know... You know, if they will be able to do that, right, we don't know what they're going to look like against Mexico and the United States. But again, it just comes down to winning at home because, again, winning away from home in CONCACAF is just so, so difficult. So getting the points when they're kind of there for the taking, that's the thing that can really separate those one or two of those teams from that group of four. Okay, totally with you on that. But but in terms of um, just the points, so uh, this game tonight, regardless of where it is, uh, and, and I, we understand the, the value of the home points, but but if, if there's not a win tonight, how catastrophic is that? I mean, it's going to be difficult because there's going to be questions about, you know, what they have to do moving forward. I don't know if, if, if catastrophic or if this team is going to be thinking catastrophically, right? The good thing is that these the next games come next month, so there won't be too long for these teams to, you know, for Canada in particular to panic. Um, but I do think it's it's going to what this team has to do is again get those offensive players, those attack minded players, really really firing because this is a top heavy team, and for Canada, if, if your you know attack minded players are not finding the back of the net and and. You know, I'm a little surprised that they only have two goals from two games, both from Kyle Lahren and, and one from a penalty. They need more there, right? They need a little bit more creativity in the final third. They need to just control the game and control possession a little more, a bit more in the final third because, you know, against the United States, they were kind of sitting back and counterattacking, and that works on the day. But, yeah, if you're not – if you don't get the result at home tonight, I think John Herdman has, has to ask himself – how do I get more from my from my best players? How do we kind of lean into that style of football that we have kind of, I guess, become, which is, again, that attack-minded team, that really forward, aggressive-minded team? Um, because if that doesn't happen, like Tejon Buchanan, he was fine in that first game, maybe not great. He, you know, he showed a spark in the second game. But for Canada to go deep in this tournament, they really need their best players at their best. Alfonso Davies has been excellent. Stefan Estacquio has been, you know, incredible. But we haven't seen the best from those attack-minded players. So I think that's probably the only reason you would panic if you don't get the result tonight. Because, I mean, I guess it goes without saying for any team, if your best players aren't your best players in a tournament, you're going to be in trouble. 
Yeah, totally agree. And I think most people are, are thinking positive here. I'm just going to throw this out because, for me, it's it's like a, a daily double in frustration, the, the men's soccer team, the men's basketball team, just because there's so much talent in both uh, adventures. It just doesn't, when it comes to uh, World Cup or, or Olympic qualifying for men's basketball, it, it, it doesn't work. I, I don't know why. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know as much about the, the men's basketball side as, as, as others, for sure. I think it's just a matter of um, kind of rising to the occasion in the biggest moments. And, and possibly, even though this team will say otherwise, you know, how much does, does history and, and the failures of the past weigh in? Um, it's inevitable that at least at the beginning of this tournament, this, this men's side, this men's soccer side, has been compared to men's teams of the past. And, you know, the messaging has been quite clear from the team itself. We're, we're not connected to those teams of the past, right? There's only two or three teams or two or three players that have been through, you know, three or four World Cup cycles on this team. But I do think, think you know, as, as, as much as the coaching staff likes to talk about, you know, doing things and, and winning games that would make them remembered, you know, in this country forever. That's a lot of pressure to live up to. So, I mean, is, is it pressure? Is it the weight of the past? I think until you just get over that hump and qualify for the World Cup, you know, those questions will never really go away. So as much as they, you know, the team likes to say this is a new team, this is a new generation, the comparisons to the past probably won't go away just because there's been so much heartbreak and just so many poor performances in the past. So again, it's just about getting over that hump and it's just about actually proving that you are different, you know, from teams of the past, because right now, until they do qualify for the world cup, I think it's fair for, for longtime fans to be cynical and pessimistic because, you know, there's been good players in this setup before, but they're, you know, they haven't been kind of performing as a collective before. So, yeah, tonight's one of those games that they can really just, again, continue to shake off the, you know, the past. Uh, but, again, until you do it, those, those questions are going to remain. Josh, just a sidebar under the Leafs, uh, one of your, your other disciplines that you do uh, for the athletic, uh, just before we let you go, um, obviously the uh, development camp uh, starts tomorrow with medicals and, and uh, you know getting uh, set for uh, really a tournament in Traverse City in, in a week's time, but but certainly an opportunity to, to see Leaf depth on, on display. Who is this, this development camp? Who does this, I think there's Nick Robertson there, but anybody else that it provides a real opportunity for? Yeah, for a few players. I mean, the one that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on is uh, Mikhail Abramov, uh, fourth-round pick from 2019, who signed his entry-level deal quite early in his tenure. Really, really talented offensive winger uh, with Victoriaville, who won the President's Cup with, with Victoriaville in the QMJHL this season. Really, really highly touted, flashy skilled winger uh, who had a pretty disappointed, disappointing, excuse me, world juniors with Russia this year. And I think that kind of really hurt him as uh, when he came back to, to the Quebec league as well. So this will be his first development camp. And again, it's, it's, there aren't too many players at the development camp that have signed their entry level deals with, which kind of you would assume puts them on a bit of a fast track towards eventually possibly being a leaf uh, so this is a player that, you know, the Marlies will probably include in their roster this year. But I'm looking at, you know, how well he can play against players much older than how well he can play against players that have AHL experience. And as is this player, again, a, 
a highest draft pick, a player that signed his entry-level deal early and has a lot of offensive skill, can that translate into playing against more experienced players? So he's just one of the players that I'll be you know, keeping an eye on throughout this, this tournament. Josh, appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Joshua Cloak covers Canadian soccer and the Leafs for The Athletic. Um, we're going to have Mark roll up very shortly. Just a couple of thoughts on the way up. First of all, that game tonight against El Salvador, BMO Field sold out. Uh, the crowd will be uh, held to 15,000 because of protocols, uh, pandemic protocols. But uh, it'll be boisterous and a big opportunity. Uh, I like what he said about the Leafs development camp. And, and to me, Nick Robertson is the ultimate wild card. He's going to start his season in the development camp. We'll play in the prospects tournament, and we'll go on to the big camp. And, and this is a guy that, that could have such a sway on the Leafs roster. If he keeps passing the test and, and keeps evolving, he could, by the end of the season, work himself into a really nice role, top six role in this team. Now, I know that that's pushing it. Uh, they'd like him to develop, and, and, and certainly that could be the case. But sometimes you get that prospect who's a blue chipper who comes in and just pushes himself right up the depth chart. And on this Leafs roster, because there's so many people that have to sort of find their spot, especially on the left side of the top three lines and, and who is the third center and all that stuff comes into play. And, and they backfilled nicely, don't get me wrong, but if a guy like Nick Robertson jumps out in front, goes after the carrot, if you will, um, he could absolutely change the Leafs' depth chart and maybe a few thoughts about how you proceed with the salary cap. It, it's an intriguing premise. Don't know if it's going to happen, but certainly will have my eyes on it. Coming up next, Mark Rowe, live from New York. This is Toronto Today, live from Toronto on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeart Radio apps. Masters, what would the best icebreaker have been? Do I know Mark Masters or I used to play for the Leafs? I think the best icebreaker would have been I know Mark Rowe. Yes. Who is the face of Canadian tennis? I mean, look what Mark Rowe has accomplished here. He wins a Grand Slam in 2019 with Bianca, and look what he's doing this year. He just goes about his business. They got him a set. Uh, that, to me, would have been the icebreaker. You would have seen Dennis's face light up, and uh, Dude, you guys would have been texting back and forth for days after that. <laughs> That's an overdrive yesterday where O-Dog stepped into it with Mark Masters, and uh, that was upon O-Dog meeting Dennis Shapovalov, and he used Mark Masters as the intro, and clearly the other Mark was the guy to trumpet and, and uses the intro. And he's on the line with us now, live from New York, the host of TSN Tennis, Mark Rowe. Mark, how are you today, sir? I am great. Great to be on with you, Jim. And, uh, you know, O-Dog uh, obviously back the wrong mark i mean that doesn't happen often with odog but clearly he messed up uh yeah clearly i i could have told him that you could have told him that <laughs> my my big question for you because you have more experience in this business than i do do i bring it up now or later that i should be on the player's payroll if i am their good luck charm the way that jeff o'neill and mark masters pointed out yesterday oh you always do that on the way out Okay. Okay. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, that's not a lead. That's on the now that you have all this, and then you, you know that's when you that's that's clearly my style. You, you, while nice. all the doors okay. are closed, they they can't say no. <laughs> okay, I'm taking notes here. Okay, uh, so here let me ask you this first. When when Leila Andy Fernandez was interviewed, I can't recall. Uh, was it Renee Stubbs who was doing the interview at the end of the match? Yes. Okay, when, when she said, and TSN's over there, were you actually over there, and was that a big moment for you? We were there, and we were in ESPN shot, which probably didn't make their director and producer very happy, but that's where the USDA took us. 
Um, so James Duffy actually took a video and zoomed in on us in the background because we were kind of standing ready to go. Uh, that was very cool. That was very nice of Renee, who I've gotten to, to meet just, just casually a couple of times, uh, having her on set. And just a shout out for Canada and for TSN and our group here who's working really hard. So, yes, that was very cool that uh, the network and the country got that attention, which obviously went to air on TSN, but also here in the United States where they get a huge audience for this tournament. And obviously they had a huge audience for that match yesterday for Layla Andy Fernandez. Now, what you did there, Mark, is actually, I used to call this term shot weaseling, where you get in on another network shot by being casually in the background. I have a book on that. I'm going to send that to okay. you, although I don't Thank know that you. you need to read it. You, you've done a nice job on shot weaseling, so remember that little trick. Now, I'm, uh, I'm writing a lot of notes during this interview. I like this. I'm learning a lot from you, Jim, which is usually a, the case. Well, th this, th that's how, I mean, you don't need any, any notes about how to do your job. You're doing a fantastic job, and, and you're there in, Thank you. in, the, in the ultimate moment. I mean, you know, you, you obviously come up with the right questions for, for Leila Annie Fernandez, but, but tell me what that feels like to be across from somebody who is reaching the pinnacle of, of her young life and, and just the, the sort of joy that comes out of her. That has to be a, a real boost. I, I'm just... I'm so fortunate, you know, we're all fortunate to have the jobs that we do. And then to, to do that walk onto Arthur Ashe Stadium and you have suddenly 20,000 fans on their feet, you know, clapping for Layla Annie. And there's been moments where I'm, I'm talking to her and I'm kind of thinking, I, I can't believe this is happening again. You know, two years ago with Bianca and now with Layla Annie. And I'm talking to this young woman who is living out literally her lifetime dreams. Um, of playing in front of this crowd and, and soaking it in. And it's not just winning. And sometimes you see athletes win and it doesn't necessarily look like they're enjoying it. You know, with Layla Annie, she's enjoying every moment of this and she's egging on the crowd. So it's been really cool. It's been really, it's, I love the fact that we get to know the athletes a little bit more with each interview or each time we have them on set. And I try to use that and, and hopefully it works and hopefully it comes across you know, to our audience, because we, you want that personality to come out. And luckily we have a Canadians who can play the sport very well, and also they do have a personality, and they are quite comfortable in front of a camera. I keep searching for the words uh, to describe when I'm watching Layla Annie Fernandez play because she has a, uh, a sort of a, uh, a quiet demeanor, soft demeanor uh, when you look at her body language, and yet you'll see her come up with the ultimate shot at the ultimate time. You'll see her, and they, they did this many times in the broadcast yesterday, talk about a reset when things aren't going well, and she comes back really, uh, I want to say strong and aggressively off that reset, which is not everybody, is it? No, and I, I agree with you. Like, I'm trying to find the right words, the right, right, I don't know, like the charming assassin. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> she has this exterior where she is so polite and, you know, and she, after the, after the match, she's talking about, oh, and she's so good and she's such a great defender. She's such a fighter. And it's like, hello, uh, you're a pretty good fighter too. Like, did you see what you did to this, you know, this established tour player who so badly wants to win a Grand Slam title? And you're living out your dreams, and you just crushed one of her dreams, at least for this week. So it, it's, just, it's so much fun. It's one thing to watch a Canadian win. It's another, it's another thing to do it in, in a fashion where they play a, a style that's so fun to watch. And the fact that she's running around the court and she just seems like this, you know, this opponent you can't put away. 
you know, and she finds a way to get to balls. She finds a way to hit shots. I think a lot of that is she, you know, she's not overwhelmed by the moment and she's having fun with it. And then that allows her to go for some of those shots that she's hitting. And you, and you say to yourself, wow, like, did she just do this against one of the best players in the world? Like, who hits that shot in that moment? And she's doing it. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's great. And, again, she's, she was on the cover of the program yesterday here at the U.S. Open. I turned on ESPN this morning uh, in my hotel room and their sports center E-R, not R-E, with Layla Annie Fernandez is one of the headline stories. Wow. And, 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 you know, really, when you go over her last three matches, I mean, she has come up with, with different things to do, uh, unexpectedly, I would say, for her opponent. And, uh, I mean, it's it's a live evolution, isn't it? It really is. And that's that makes the run even more impressive, the fact that it's not just defeating Naomi Osaka, the defending champ, Angelique Kerber, a former champion and someone who's won three major titles, and Alina Svitolina, who is a top-five player in the world, all three of those opponents pose different challenges, and she'll face another challenge in Arena Sabalenka in the semifinals. And normally you would say, okay, this is maybe where the road ends. This is a really tough server, someone who has you know, found her game at the majors. And then you remind, you remind yourself, we've been doubting her for the last couple of days. Should we not learn from this? You know, like that she, any challenge that's thrown at her, she seems to be able to overcome. And again, she, she's living in the moment and she is still finding a way to enjoy it, but execute her game plan. And that's a real tough kind of balance to be able to do that, especially at her age and where she is in her career. Remember, she's only playing in a main draw of the U.S. Open for the second time in her life. Uh, it's a remarkable story. So is Felix. I mean, he is so cool. And, you know, unfortunately, his opponent had to retire last night. But I think he was on his way anyway, wasn't he? Absolutely. I think that was, you know, once he got that break in the first set, because they were kind of going blow for blow. And, you know, Alcaraz is going to be a, a, a star for years to come. And you can see that, you know, when he's on, he's got such power with that forehand. Um, but once he got that sort of advantage on him, it seemed like then because he is serving so well that he, I don't want to say he was in cruise control, but he was able to control things. Yeah, like his demeanor is one where when he's in the moment, he's just so steady and he doesn't allow things to affect him. And we, we saw that even more so when he beat Tiafo and the whole crowd was cheering for an American. Um, but he does show that sort of emotion a bit with the crowd. And I think that's good. I think that he's got a little bit of, of both. And he, he is showing a consistency in this tournament that we maybe haven't seen in previous years. We've seen him in spurts be the player that we've all thought was going to win a major title. But the fact that now he has done that for five straight matches, he's, he's going to be an underdog against Medvedev, but maybe not quite the underdog that we would have said two weeks ago. And uh, they'll, they'll both be relatively well-rested. They, the, that, they get the extra day off, so they don't play till Friday. Um, and as I said in the interview i feel bad for the tennis ball because they're going to tear the cover off of that thing it's going to be big shot after big shot and as a fan it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch what do you think uh, and this applies to, to Layla and and felix what do you think is underrated about both their games well i think with oj aliasim um he we've known that he could have a big serve and we're seeing that you know really on display so that necessarily isn't a surprise I think that his ability to come to the net has been this evolution over just maybe the last couple of months. And I don't know if that's something that 
uh, his his new coach, and he's got two now. Uh, Tony Nadal, aka Uncle Tony, who's Rafa's uncle, um, has has implemented, or it's just they see a guy with a big serve and he can take advantage of that. I think that he is getting more net points. It's thrown off his opponents a little bit more because we knew he had the serve, we knew he had the forehand. Um, for Layla Annie Fernandez, I think it's just the belief. You know, like, and I kind of compared her a little bit to Kyle Lowry in the sense that she's been told you're too small and, you know, we're prob- you're probably never going to be a top 20 player. You're never going to win majors. And she's just used it as fuel. Um, obviously a different personality than Kyle Lowry. But I think the fact that she expects to be here and it's not just a like, oh, this is a, a cool thing that's happening and I got to soak it in because I might not ever do it again. Like she not only is is determined to be here, but she's determined to be here every single year. And I think that has helped her out so much in those big moments on court. Mark, really appreciate your time. Uh, And again, keep up the great, fantastic work. This is something to watch. I think we're all thrilled for you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. My pleasure as always. Have a great show. Okay, we'll try. We'll press on. That's Mark Rowe live from New York getting set for more U.S. Open coverage on TSN today. And I should tell you that as we mumble on TSN 5 right now, Gabriela Dabrowski's uh, women's doubles quarterfinal is on. And uh, later this afternoon, not before 1.30, the times are not exact here, Annabelle Zhu's girls doubles second round match will be live on TSN.ca and the TSN app. A marvelous story and, and really how he summed up Felix and uh, Leila Annie Fernandez is what John Wertheim said yesterday from Sports Illustrated on this particular broadcast. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, everybody's uh, really enthralled with Felix's power, but do not underestimate Leila Annie Fernandez. There's something special happening for both those Canadian tennis stars, and it's great to watch. And TSN has great coverage. There's no question about that. Coming up next, we're going to talk hockey. Sean Simpson is here from TSN 1200. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. To me, this is going to be the fun part. You know, the rebuild's done. Now we're stepping into another uh, zone, I would call it. And, you know, I'm excited about the group of players we have, the maturity that they've, you know, that they've brought or that they've gotten over the last few years. Uh, I'm excited about some of the veterans that we have and how they've taken a big step. And, you know, it's going to be fun. This is the next four years is I see the Ottawa Senators playing some really good hockey and bring some exciting hockey, and our fans are going to be part of our winning ways. That's Bear Darion. He says the rebuild is done in Ottawa. Got a contract extension the other day to help us sift through the Sens and, and talk some leaves. Sean Simpson is here from TSN 1200. Sean, how are you today, sir? I'm good, Jimbo. Just uh, loaded up the bus here, coming down to kick the least butt. You know, rebuild's <laughs> over, so you guys are in the rearview mirror. <laughs> well done, my friend. <laughs> That's a rating spike. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, is is in fact the rebuild done? Well, and again, I think what Pierre wanted to say, hey, the next phase. There's no doubt that based on the uh, you know migration or evolution or I guess graduation of young players coming along, they certainly are going into the competitive phase. As to what that means, I don't see them as a playoff team right now in their division, but they certainly got improved. They certainly, when Brady Kachuk finally signs, you can start to see a foundation of a home. We kind of use that term all the time. You're going into a rebuild. You tear it down to the studs. So, hey, there's certainly uh, a lot of heavy lifting has been done still a lot of work ahead but it's certainly very promising for sure 
Okay, so uh, two questions that come out of that. First of all, uh, Brady's yeah. contract, when do you expect that to happen, and what kind of a dollar figure are we looking at? Well, you know what, Jim, I just try to gather some of the information. I know they've offered an eight-year contract. I've heard through my sources that he'd actually be very willing to do that. Uh, you hear the number thrown around of eight times eight, but nothing's been confirmed. I've never heard anything as an actual number. Just given a guesstimate, that's based on what Thomas Shabbat made. My thought is that if they can arrive at the right number on an eight-year deal between now and training camp, he'll do that. And if not, I kind of think that he'll end up signing a bridge deal, and I think both sides will go into it to that point. So, like I said, I'd say a little north of eight times eight is just a full guesstimate on my part. But I think the positive for Sens fans is that, from what I understand, he would be willing to sign for eight years. And if he could, to me, that would be such a great signal to the market, make him captain, created a little stability. But uh, I have no real word on the money itself. Well, and, and I mean, this is a key signing, isn't it? Because if you can get him at, at eight or eight plus, I mean, it yeah. does put a, put a bar on, on where anybody else goes, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it does and it doesn't. You know, I kind of think that when Stutzla, if he reaches his potential, does he do a bridge? Then does he go higher? But more importantly, Jim, it's just been such a roller coaster here, and I hate to overpay, but he certainly brings a lot of tangibles to it. He is, without a doubt, the leader of the hockey club. He's a young Mark Messi, the way he carries himself. I also know that maybe from a point standpoint, he might be third or fourth on the team down the road. So I don't want to say necessarily nobody will make more, but I still think at this point, just for where we've been, and where you want to go. Hate to say we. I mean, as a city, but as a franchise, I think getting him a long-term deal would certainly. Uh, it would just be a real key in a lot of different ways. Uh, Leaf fans would be remiss, all capital letters, if I didn't ask this. Okay, so yeah. if phase one is the drafting and developing of the players, and phase yeah. two is, is is watching them evolve, phase three might be signing them to, uh, you know, those lifetime contracts. And clearly, uh, Brady would would come in at a nice number. But what about the rest? Because Quite frankly, isn't this where Ottawa hit a fork in the road last time when they had all those contracts and they had to divest themselves of them? Would that ever happen again? Well, you know what, the only thing, Jim, I think people have to be really careful of, and I'm not going to always defend it, and this time around they have the opportunity, and I think you can thank the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I was with the Caps in 04, teams that have come up with a plan and a blueprint. Now you can argue where Toronto went from phase one, but the difference last time around, we have to remember, they were all unrestricted free agents, and i got to be quite honest with you, I like Mark Stone a lot, not sure about that contract. Eric Carlson to Duchesne to a lot of other players they let go in their late 20s. Thank God they did. We're talking about guys coming out of entry level, the prime of his career, similar to Matthews, to Marner, to Riley, to Nylander. So that is very much different from what they did last time around. And, hey, certainly people want to see them not only sign for these seven or eight, but more. Um, but history also tells us the real key here, and I think the window for the Sens, like any team, is for these guys when they're between 22 and 28. So that's the key from Stutzla to Norris to Batherson to Kachuk, maybe Pinto, Sanderson, Shabbat, kind of go down the list there. Hey, that's when you're going to win your Cups if that's truly what you want to end up doing. Okay, so a return to normalcy in that the divisions return. So let's talk about the yeah. Atlantic Division. Um, you know, I think Ottawa is going to be better. There's no question about that. And, and I might yeah, uh, go sure. out. And a, I might go out on a limb and say Buffalo will be the only team that won't be better. So where do you think Ottawa slots in here? 
Well, if I was to do our power ranking right now, still very respectful of the lease, I'd probably go Tampa, I'd go lease, and then I'd go Florida as a top three. I think between Montreal and Boston is four or five, Ottawa six, Detroit seven, probably Buffalo eight. And now I, when you look at this, and this is before with a young team kind of getting into the year, Jim, I want to see what kind of you know growth they've made over a summer. They haven't made moves, but as we know, young players can jump up. Could they jump closer to a Boston that's lost Krejci? Could they jump closer to Montreal? Montreal, who I'm not a big fan of. Well, Montreal for now might be more competitive. The real key is just continue making up ground. But right now I would slot them as the sixth best team in the division going into the year. Yeah, I have to say that of all the teams that I look at, I have the, the sort of the division set up in front of me. Montreal, again, remains to me the biggest question mark. You don't know. Yeah. This, this could be good or bad. What's yeah. your take on that? Yeah. Well, I, I, I totally agree. And you know what? I've kind of went with some people. And I was with Washington in 98. We went to the finals where, hey, we got hot. Ole Colesley played great. I think the Montreal Canadiens are a very competitive hockey team. But on the basic construction and the growth or lack thereof, when I look at the contracts long-term of the Andersons to Gallagher to the loss of Deneau to Weber pretty much retiring to a Carey Price having to play 50 or 60 game where he's at and then just overall – hey, they're still a very competitive hockey team. Do I think they're going to take another trip to the finals? Not a chance. Do I think they're running out of track where they're going to have to finally go into a true, re- uh, a true rebuild? Absolutely. Uh, are, are you happy with Montreal down the middle? Because I'm, I'm still a little skeptical. Oh, no, not at all. I, I mean, any idea that, you know, from three years ago, first of all, totally forcing, and drafting's not easy, but they really forced Kotkaniemi. They rushed him in too soon. They had, could have had Brady Kachuk or Quinn Hughes. Now to turn it around and spin that bringing in Dvorak, all of a sudden this is going to be great. They may be in the short term a little bit better, but if that's your third pick overall, and from the Galchenyuk third pick overall, it's Josh Anderson, who's a nice third-line player, to even move in Sergachev for Durand. No, I don't like where their program is at. In the center, I say, Dano Suzuki, love him. Great trade, great move. After that, it just quite simply starts to get very thin, and we'll see Dvorak as well. I also want to be careful. Uh, I know you tune in nightly to Arizona Coyotes games, but I, I don't watch a lot of them. So I'm all, It was like when Bobby Ryan came here, I'm like, all you do is see his highlights of him scoring and be like, that guy's so good. I, I've got to watch the fella play before I really say too much on him. <laughs> well, they may set a record for outdoor games the way that arena deal's going, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a team on wheels. Next stop is either Houston or Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Sean, thanks very much. Appreciate it. And by the way, just you know, while you're in the bus, stay in your own lane, buddy. Yeah, but hey, we're coming down mean. You know, Walt from Slapshot's driving the bus, so be ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Connor Brown's the peacekeeper, I hear. Oh, yeah, very kind man. And gingers are always good people. <laughs> and what a good player he's been. I'll tell you what, there was a guy down the stretch last year, Jim, played so well in the World Championships. Him uh, him and Stutzel and Pinto, I think, are going to be a real nice second line. I, I think he's going to go next level this year. He, boy, he had a great year last year. Yeah, sadly, Sean, your allotted time is up. Okay. <laughs> I'll Thanks wait for my gift card in the mail. Cheers. <laughs> That's right. <Don't... laughs> You're a patient man. I can say that. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, cheers. Bye. Sean, Sean Simpson, TSN 1200 in Ottawa. Great sense of humor. Love the uh, conversation. There's a, a nice piece, by the way, on, on TSN dot ca uh by travis yost uh, going over uh, the the grading of the canadian teams at center and uh so he uh, gives the leafs i'm just trying to find the overall mark but the, the leafs are you know obviously top two uh, edmonton gets an a 
uh, Toronto gets a B plus. So my problem with the Leafs is not obviously the first two. There's an evolution on the Leafs roster up front, uh, not not necessarily negative. That has to happen on the left side of, of just about every line and uh, down the middle on uh, the the third and fourth line. And uh, you know everybody would would pencil in at this point. Camp as the number three center. And I've got nothing against him. I, I think he's a, a really good find by the Leafs. My question is, is he a number three or a four? This this is a guy who doesn't have a lot of offensive upside. Uh, Apparently, according to the scouting reports, we're going to see all this stuff, right? These are questions that you ask going in when you haven't seen the guy play on your team. And, and it's great, like as Sean said, you can watch somebody on another team, certainly in a highlight back, or, or see them in situations on the other team. But when you come to the Leafs, the role is specific, and we'll see how that happens. But there's an evolution there that has to happen for the Leafs in the third and fourth line and all those left wingers, and, and there could be a collision of, of either good stories or bad. And then there's Alex Kerfoot sort of floating above the roster going where do where do i fit in not that he has to ask that question because he's capable but there are so many numbers there that you don't know exactly how that works so uh mr yost has given the leafs a b plus at center and let's not forget about pierre engvall who could add to the the equation as well uh, it's an interesting storyline vancouver gets a, a b plus the winnipeg jets get a b and uh calgary flames c plus montreal c what else ottawa c minus so, you know, the Ottawa story is not necessarily uh, how you would rate the individual uh, talent, uh, but uh, collectively it's a nice young group, and, and we'll see how all that sort of uh, meshes together. So that's the hockey talk for today. Had something else to cover. Oh, yes, uh, the NFL season starts tomorrow night, Thursday night football. You can watch it on TSN and listen to it on TSN 1050. Cowboys against the Bucks and Tom Brady uh, – obviously talking about uh, Dak's return from injury and says it's not easily done. 2008 season, I tore my ACL out. I was out the whole year. And then 2009, I got back and I felt like, wow, this is, you know, it's football. I know for me, it took a little bit of time to get back into that feeling that I was really playing at the same speed as everyone else. I'm sure that'll be part of it for Dak. I mean, Dak's one of the really talented quarterbacks in the NFL. He's had some great success, but, you know, I can also understand that it's not like he's at a full training camp or preseason games. Well, I mean, every, everything's hurry up now uh, with the you know the sort of the altered status of everything. So we'll see how that plays out. Cowboys against the Bucks. NFL Thursday night football. The NFL season is here, and of course we got a busy weekend for the CFL. One more clip from Mr. Brady. Uh, obviously, everybody's looking for a repeat from last year, uh, and and he sort of speaks to that and what that means for this year. It's a whole nother year. I don't think, you know, what we did, no one could take away from us. So in, in one way, you're not really defending it much. You know, it's kind of in the books and, you know, they can't take away what we've done. It's really just a whole nother year and experience. You know, we got a chance to, to go out and play the 2021 team the best we possibly can. Wow. I mean, there's plenty of excitement in the air for the NFL launch. Uh, you've got Tom Brady trying to do the impossible again. Um, then you've got the uh, the Rodgers situation in Green Bay. What happens with Aaron Rodgers, and, and how does that play out? And there's you know Stafford now with the with the Rams, and there's my Lions who absolutely suck on a yearly basis. So we'll see what happens there, maybe not. And then there's the Buffalo Bills who are just perched and ready to launch into greatness uh, for a number of years. And so plenty of excitement that way. And we'll follow all that for you. Um, I should remind you that at the top of the hour, our new show, Gameplay, with Matt Cause, will hit the air again for show number two. It airs every weekday, 1 to 4. Gameplay is Canada's first daily radio show focused on, focused on, focused on sports betting and fantasy, providing listeners with the inside edge on every sport, along with uh, the latest lines, best prop bets, 
and more. And that's coming up in exactly, well, 42 seconds is when we'll hit the break. And, and then Matt Cause will take over and line things up. And opening weekend in the NFL, I mean, week one, uh, there's, I guess you go with the home team plus. It's just such a, a difficult thing to understand, you know, what's going to happen and and, uh, and how that tracks out. Uh, we want to applaud and thank Mark Rowe for stopping by. I really appreciate what Mark has done for tennis on TSN. What a great job he's doing and enjoying himself in New York. I also want to thank Sean Simpson, great guy, a lot of fun with him, and Joshua Cloak, who covers Canadian soccer for the Leafs. Uh, sorry, Canadian soccer and the Leafs for the Athletic. So thank all our guests today. I want to thank you for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed the proceedings, and gameplay is next.